as we continue our time of worship and prepare our hearts to receive God's word, I'm going to ask you to join me in James chapter 2. It is a continuation of thought from last week's message about how faith and works go hand in hand. And last week I talked to you about Austin. Today I want to talk to you about a guy named Stephen. A guy I work with just found out he's going to be a father for the first time. He was raised in a nominal Christian home, doesn't really have a faith that's beyond just religion. But I've been working on him and praying for him and sharing the gospel with him. And this week I got to talk to him about the spiritual state of his life, bringing someone new into this world. And that now he has the responsibility to raise up this child to fear the Lord. I'm telling you these stories because I'm hoping that it is a challenge to you and an encouragement to you. That it's great. Man, it was dangerous, by the way, for Kyle to play that song. It's one of my favorite worship songs. You want to make me late to read the Bible? Sing one of my favorite songs. I just get immersed in worship. But it's more than just coming on Sunday mornings and raising our hands to our favorite songs, isn't it? It is a life surrendered to Christ. We lift our voices with the breath that God has given us, but we also should live our lives with the life that God has given us. And I want to encourage you today. Be the one. Be the one that points someone in your life to Christ. Let us read, beginning in verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Let us pray. God, I come before you in awe of your majesty, in awe of your compassion and worship. I love you, Lord, and I'm excited to hear your word. Let us recognize the truth that our lives should be an outworking of the faith that is within us. Let us earnestly desire to see your kingdom come and your name exalted high. Mm. God, let us, on that day when we stand before you, be counted a friend of God. It is in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, and normally right now I'd be sending out our kids to go to their classes, but because today is a family service, the kids get to stay in here with us. So if you have not prepared yourself, prepared your hearts and minds for that yet, now is the time. 
Um, we do have coloring sheets and, and some note pages for the kids as well. I do want to let you know that because I think it's important. Today, we're going to be talking about some big words within the Christian faith. Some words you should hear just about every Sunday. They're words that I don't ever want to have it go over anybody's head, especially our, our kids. I want them to have these foundational words. So to be taking notes and, be, and writing these words down, as a matter of fact, today I'm going to have them give me a little participation in repeating some of these words as we do it. We are going to be diving into some pretty heavy stuff because we're another one of those passages today. One of those passages, similar to last week, last week we talked about verses 14 through 19 in James chapter 2, and as we did, James simply put, if I was going to wrap just one big ribbon around what we talked about last week, he said this, show me your faith. You say you have faith, prove it. That's basically what he was saying in those first four verses. We, we said faith acts. That's the way that we, we put it together in the, in the, the titles that we have but as we look at it, our passage this week and our passage next week will build off of that passage of faith acts. James has looked in the next um, today and next week at two very opposite but important characters from the Old Testament. One being Abraham and next week Rahab. One the, the father of Judaism and the other a woman of ill repute. But yet James uses both of them as an example of faith, as we will see this week and next week. Great examples of faith acting, faith in action. One will be that faith sacrifices. That is our topic today. And next week, we'll look how faith risks. So with that, I hope you have your Bibles already open as Pastor Bruce read James chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, as we're going to read those again today. Again, it is one of those passages that creates some debate, that creates some discussion amongst people within the Christian community. Because as you look at it, you will see that what James says today seems to stand in direct contradiction to the book of Romans and what Paul has to say. We're going to look at that as we dive in. So let's read today again, and we're going to follow along in James chapter 2. Starting in verse 20, I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Version. It says, Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So kids, I told you today we're going to be introducing some big words into the Christian faith. And the first one we're going to talk about this morning is the word justification. Kids, can you say the word justification back to me, please? That was weak. Let's try it again. All right. Say the word justification with me. Thanks. I've got some adult participation in there, too. That's good. That's good. Justification. Now, here is the important part that we need to know. As we expand and as we go through this morning, this word, justification, like other words we even talk about this morning, has two meanings to it, depending upon the context that it is written within. That is an important foundation for us to understand as we move forward in this. Because as we look at justification, depending upon the context, it's like, two sides to the same coin 
Many of the words we look at today will have that same thing. There's a meaning that this context that Paul uses, and there's a meaning in this context that James uses. Same word, different meanings because of the context. Our first meaning is to be declared righteous in the sight of God, even though I'm a sinner. That is justification. But on the flip side that James uses, there's a second meaning, and that is to demonstrate myself righteous in the sight of people to show that I have received the gift that God has given me through His Son, Jesus Christ. James uses it twice in our passage today. Once in verse 21, when he says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? He uses it again in verse 24 when he says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So I told you this is one of those passages. What is the problem that we run into here? What is the issue that we're seeing? Well, my connection group has been going through the book of Romans. And just so happens that we're in Romans chapter 3 right now, which tends to stand on the surface in direct contradiction to these verses. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 3 verse 28 goes in opposition to what you would assume of what James 2.24 says. Put them side by side. Let's look at them real quick. As you look at these, it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Yet Paul says in Romans 3, 28, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Wait a second here. What gives? How is this so far off? One says justified by faith. The other one says justified by faith with works. Which one's right? Are they standing opposed to each other? Are they standing toe-to-toe where basically Paul said one thing, James comes back and says another and says, no, Paul, you're wrong. So if you're thinking that, what other parts of the Bible are wrong? What other parts of the Bible are not spoken by the Holy Spirit and, and given to us and inspired by that so we even have it still today? If that raises that question, that kind of throws everything out. This is an important thing for us to look at. It's important for us to look at because are they standing toe-to-toe looking to throw down on which one is it? Is it faith or faith plus works? Or are they actually standing back-to-back supporting each other and fighting against false ideas that these outside influences are trying to bring in as they spread the gospel? Well, this is what we touched on last week and I'm going to expand on it again today. The foundational truth for us to understand is that both James and Paul are writing about the exact same gospel. They are spreading the exact same gospel, but they are writing it from different vantage points. It's kind of like the gospels themselves. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see different vantage points to the same story. It's like if you go to an accident scene and the police go and take interviews, the person on this corner is going to see it different from that person on that corner, but it's the same accident. We have the same mentalities. We see James and Paul writing here. It's different Vantage points addressing different issues within different churches they're writing to. But they're actually working together. They're actually working in unity and defending the gospel by fighting two different enemies. Two different enemies that are trying to undermine the gospel. Paul is looking at the root of salvation. James is looking at the fruit of salvation. So you have the root versus the fruit, but you know what it is? It's the same tree. It's the same tree of salvation. Another illustration we might expand on, as I've talked about, two different sides of the same coin. Paul's writing to fight against a false idea. You can't earn your salvation with our works. When he writes the word, 
justified. He's using the first definition, declared righteous in the sight of God. James, he's actually fighting the false idea of easy believism, of reducing salvation to just intellectual head knowledge of belief. He writes the word justified, and he uses the second definition, demonstrating myself to be righteous in the sight of God to just show that I've received God's gift. See, they're fighting against these false ideas. And both of these false ideas were problems in the church then, and they're still problems in the church today. As a pastor, I want to fight with everything in me against these false ideas. If you think somehow that you are stacking up good works to put on a scale of my good versus bad, and somehow that's going to earn your way into heaven, you got to think again. But on the flip side, if you think that obedience and servants to God is irrelevant, that it's not necessary, that you're all good because you said some prayer when you were six years old, that you walked some aisle or raised your hand, you also need to think again. These are the things we need to be putting together because something that Pastor Bruce prayed last week, maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. It's been attributed to Martin Luther. It's also been attributed to Calvin. But this is what they said. We are saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but our faith is never alone. I explain that because when we look at the next two weeks, and James uses Abraham, and James uses Rahab as examples, understanding James's different approach, his different vantage point, will help his examples make sense to us. The funny thing is, even with the two different point of views, Even with the two different writings, both Paul and James use the same Old Testament character, Abraham. But the two different sides of the same coin are laid out in his life. The one's looking at the vantage point here, the other one's looking from the vantage point over here. Same coin, two different sides. So I told you there's going to be a lot of words that have these two different sides. We talked about justification. We'll go go into more detail on that at the end. But the word I want to look at first in more depth is the word faith kids can you say faith for me okay i'm not doing that anymore if it's gonna be that kind of response i can do louder that myself all right let's do it again because kids can you say faith for me thank you as we look at faith it has been the topic of our look at the book of james first it was faith perseveres then we had faith obeys then we had faith loves then we had faith acts Today is faith sacrifices. It is the foundation of where we are at. But what does it mean? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 gives us a definition. It says these words, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. You want to put that simply? Trusting in something you can't explicitly prove. It's that full trust that is there. It's the word we've been talking about, like I said, for this whole series, because really, for good reason, it's the one that James talks about over and over again from both sides of the coin, both pictures he has here. Let's start by looking side number one. James chapter two, verse 20, James says, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Goes back to that wrap up of last week. He says, hey, prove it prove to me that you have faith and it's an important thing we need to remember especially as we head into verse 24 which is seems to be that verse that stands in opposition to paul remember this passage that james is not comparing mature faith versus immature faith 
He's not comparing lukewarm faith to a faith that is on fire. You know what he's looking at? Genuine, real faith versus false, fake faith. That's the comparison we have to remember. One that is claimed, but not real. One that the demons even have, that he talked about even as we looked at last week. It's a dead faith. And I use the word faith loosely here because if it's a dead faith, it's not real. It's not even really there. It shouldn't be even called faith at all, but yet James does. The first picture, James gives us this word faith that is a dead faith. That's the one side of the coin. A faith that doesn't save. And we've already seen, as James has said, as well as in other scriptures we pointed out last week, a person that claims to have faith but doesn't obey Christ's commands has no real faith at all. James actually calls them a senseless person. Remember how we talked last week that he was having an argument with imaginary people? Have you ever come to the point in that argument with that imaginary person you've had in your life where you're like, they're an idiot. They don't know it, but you're telling them it. That's what he's doing here. He's like, you guys, I believe um, Bruce's translation said empty-headed fool or something along those lines. But that's basically what it's talking about. You you have no sense whatsoever thinking that your faith without works is any good because nobody will believe it. The other picture we see that James gives is the other side of the coin. It's that living faith that does save. When we started, and we will continue... We'll see James mention faith outside of this passage. Really, the dead faith is only in this passage. Everything before it and everything after it is this living faith. He's talking about living faith in Christ, and he says it's one that perseveres. It's one that obeys. It's one that acts. It's one that loves. It's one that sacrifices. If your faith isn't doing something, it's probably dead. It's probably like you're poking it with a stick. Come on, do something. Do something. Anything. But it's not doing anything. He challenges with this question. He says, hey, what's your faith? What is your faith? Is it living and active or is it dead and lifeless? What is it? Where do we fall? Is it changing you and how you live or is it just stuck in your head? It's something you believe, but you've never truly acted out. It's an internally important question for us to answer. Next, he gets into James 2.21. And we have another word. I'm expecting a little bit more response here. Not just faith, but the next word is this word called righteousness. Righteousness. Kids, say righteousness for me. Much better. So good. Thank you so much. James talks about righteousness. And again, he gives us two different pictures. One side of the coin versus the other. It says here in verse 21, wasn't Abraham our father justified? Now you might be like, oh, that's not righteousness. Well, some translations, as a matter of fact, the one that Pastor Bruce read this morning said, considered righteousness righteous wasn't he considered righteous by works and offering isaac his son on the altar the word righteousness is used in different ways throughout scripture but today we see two of them two of them as paul writes he also writes about these two again we're looking at this back-to-back issue not toe-to-toe not fighting each other but working together the two is this first is positional righteousness i know that's big i know that's heavy positional righteousness is how we stand before god The other side is practical righteousness. And that means how we live our lives before God. We stand before God and we live before God. It's kind of like what Pastor Bruce was saying up front about singing the songs versus living the life. Where do we stand with God? So we have positional righteousness and how we stand, practical righteousness and how we live. Positional righteousness is what happens when we're first saved. By God's grace, you are made righteous. There's another big word for you. 
Christ imputes. Imputes means to be assigned to or be attributed to or given, basically. He gives us and closes in his righteousness at the moment of your salvation. That is positional righteousness. You are made right before God and we have peace with God because of Christ. That is the initial thing. Practical righteousness is how that positional righteousness plays itself out in your life. How does that affect you? It's how we are growing to be more like Christ. What James is saying in this, as he says you are justified or considered righteousness, is that demonstration of faith lived out. So that is righteousness. So we have faith, two sides of the coin, dead and living. You have positional versus practical, two sides of the coin there. Now we move on to another word, a word that we get hung up on often, and that is works. Say it with me. Works. Two sides of the picture. Two sides of the coin. He says this in verse 22. You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. So, sometimes the word works in Scripture is positive, And sometimes the word works in Scripture is negative. Let's start with the negative. The negative part is when Paul is talking about works being driven by our flesh. Works being driven by our desire to lift ourselves up. Not glorifying God, but glorifying ourselves. It's trying to do our things our way to earn favor with God. We see it in the book of Romans. We see it in the book of Galatians that Paul writes. Doing outward things to attempt being righteous and earn our way to God. We still see it today. It's something we call legalism. Legalism is the idea of following rules to create your own spiritual growth. But if you know anything about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, who gives the growth? God. It says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, God gives the growth. But we try and do it ourselves. We try and work overtime to get that growth. Doing things to make ourselves righteous instead of truly relying on the righteousness of Christ that we talked about already. Works either bring you glory or they bring God glory. So in it, when James talks about works, it's a flip side. Paul talks about this glorifying yourself. James talks about it glorifying God. What makes it that way? Well, the fact that the works that he's talking about are that fruit, the fruit of the faith that you have, the works that we do to honor and bring glory to God and not bring glory to ourselves. When James talks about works, he's talking about God glorifying obedience. Where does that God-glorifying obedience come from? Not out of guilt, but out of the fact that we have mercy and grace that has come from God and just flows out of that. That is our response. Flipping back over to Paul, he didn't just talk about negative works. Matter of fact, he says the same things as James does from the, from the positive side. He talks about the obedience of faith in Romans chapter 1. He talks about the, the work of faith in his letters to the Thessalonians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, What matters is faith working through love. So both of them are saying the same thing. Both of them are saying the same thing. It's not about earning favor with God, but doing things that are produced by faith to bring honor and glory to the God who gave you that special gift of salvation. So with Abraham as example number one, both Paul and James have used him, we need to ask the question, how does it work? How does it work? According to to both James and Paul, this is how it works. Faith creates works. Faith creates works. It says this in verse 22. 
You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, as he was called God's friend. Now what's James doing here? He's actually quoting Genesis chapter 15. And the story of Abraham. And I thought maybe this morning Kyle knew that I was going to be doing Abraham. We should have done Father Abraham up front to get everybody moving and going. Little dancing with it all. So kids, you're going to hopefully know this story, and I'm going to need some help in it as well. But there is a progression in Abraham's life that both Paul and James refer to in their New Testament letters. But it starts like this. God entered into a covenant with Abraham. That covenant is found in Genesis 15. If you have your Bibles and you want to flip to it, it's the first book of the Bible. It should be easy to find. Otherwise, it's going to be here on the screen. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. says these words. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars if you are if you able to count them. Then he said to them, Your offspring will be that numerous. Look at verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. So God gave Abraham his promise. Abraham believed God, and Abraham's faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. Now jump ahead 30 years. 30 years, or at least seven chapters in your Bible, to chapter 22. And in chapter 22, God had given him a son, had given Abraham a son. Kids, what's the son's name? Anybody? That was... Isaac is the one we're looking for. Isaac is definitely the one we're looking for in that. I, I got a little bit over here. We're good. I'm not going to ask any more questions, okay? Um, in verses 1 and 2 of 22, God tells Abraham to do something to Isaac, and that is to sacrifice him. I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, the one that I promised you that would be the one who would be the one that would continue on your legacy and make those stars or your offspring like the stars in the sky. I want you to sacrifice him. Now, I'm going to pause right there for just a second because as we look at it, I want you to think of the excuses that you would use, that I would use. Reasons not to sacrifice anything that's of value to me, but especially my own son. What is it that we use when God says, I want you to lay this down and follow and obey me? What things will we not lay down? What things will we not sacrifice? Think about that as we see what happens next in Genesis chapter 22. Because Abraham goes to the mountain that God has called him to with Isaac. He raises his knife to sacrifice his only son. And this is what happens in verses 11 of 12 of chapter 22. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. But here's a question. As Paul writes about it, as James writes about it, when did Abraham first believe? 
When was his faith on full display? When did he believe and have faith in God? Was it in Genesis chapter 22 when he said, here is my faith being put to the test? Or was it back in Genesis 15 when he believed in God? It was that 30 years earlier. But that 30 years, his faith grew. And as Abraham's faith grew, it resulted in works of obedience when God called him to make a sacrifice in his life. How is our faith growing to make the necessary sacrifices that God calls us to? What James is saying in chapter 2 is that that is the fruit of faith. It's not the root of faith that Paul talks about. It is the fruit of faith that we're seeing. So when you plant a fruit tree, it takes root. When you, when you plant a fruit tree seed, it takes root. It eventually grows and it bears fruit. I'm not sure if you're doing a, a year-long reading plan or not through the Bible app, but these last three days have all been, coincidentally, about Jesus and the four types of soil that they plant seed in. The one that takes root and the ones that do not. He's saying, this is the fruit that shows that it took root. This is where we see it all. When faith is born in a person's heart, it will grow and bear fruit. By its very nature, faith creates works. Well, you know what it does is it creates works? Those works complete our faith. It's like a big circle. Works create, or sorry, faith creates works. Works complete faith. Back around, back around, back around. As a matter of fact, the end of James 2.22 says, And by works, faith was made complete. It was perfected. It was brought to maturity. Abraham's works matured in his faith, and that faith was brought to a completion. A completion even in Christ. If you want a practical application for us, you can put it this way. The more you obey God, the more your faith grows. The more your faith grows, it leads to obedience. The more obedience you have, you have more mature faith, and then it circles back around. That faith continues to grow your works, your works continue to grow your faith, and there you have it. There are two sides of the same coin, and that coin actually is getting bigger. So how does that apply to us in our lives today? Well, I think you could ask yourself, these questions are really based on one big one. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And we can break that down to simple questions like, why do you come to worship? Why do you watch online? What point is it? Are you trying to earn favor with God because, hey, I showed up, my Sunday morning attendance is pretty good, God, so therefore... My team should win. Anybody have that? Come on now. Dodgers fans, anybody? Yeah. Um, that's, read the Babylon Bee. It's a great one. Um, the thing is, is as you begin to look at that, you begin to look at those things, we think that somehow we're earning favor with God because we do blank. Because I went to church, because I washed online, because I gave in the tithe box, because whatever thing it might be, we're trying to earn our favor with God. Why do we do what we do? Is it because we're trying to earn it or because we have a great God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son and my only response is to give him my life? Why do we do what we do? I'll tell you, one approach brings your faith to maturity. The other, it doesn't. Same questions with both personal and corporate prayer when we gather together on thursday night why are you going to come not because you're trying to impress me not because you you want to earn some way some favor it's because we have the opportunity 
to go to prayer and talk to the God of the universe who created everything, but also created us and loved us enough to give us his one and only son so we could have a relationship with him and we could talk to him. How awesome is that? But how many times do we not do it because we don't think of it that way? Same thing even in our personal prayer life. What about personal and corporate Bible study? What about helping out people in need? That's kind of what James focused on in that last passage that we looked at, right? Helping out people in need. When do we help out people in need the most? From Thanksgiving to Christmas. Why is it a one-month thing and not a 24-7 thing? Why do we make such a push at the holiday season to make sure we have a canned food drive or an angel tree gift thing or whatever it might be? Why are we not doing that regularly? What are we trying to earn in it all? Are we trying to make ourselves feel better? Are we trying to glorify God in our actions? All good questions to help us examine ourselves honestly and really be a great way to end the sermon. But we have one more verse left. And that one more verse left is a doozy. It says this in James 2.24, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What does James mean when he says that we are not justified by faith alone? It stands in direct contradiction to what Paul says in Romans 3.28. What, what is it? Well, we have to remember the passage. We have to remember the context. James is talking with imaginary people who claim to have faith, but don't really have any at all. It's all dead faith. It's non-existence. And when we get to James 2.24, don't take it out of context. Take it with everything else that he said. He's saying this. You having a dead, useless faith will not justify you. You having a useless faith, it will not declare you righteous, and it doesn't show that your life is displaying you've been declared righteous. Both definitions of justification are in this. What James is saying here is you're not justified by a faith that claims to know Jesus but does nothing. That has no fruit, no life, no activity at all. He says this type of faith alone is the same type of faith that demons have and it's not going to get her done. That's a typical answer that we have to hold on to. That faith without works is not going to get it done. And that brings back around to our first word. That word, justification. Justification. Again, two pictures. Two pictures. Paul and James. Not standing toe-to-toe, not getting ready to throw down. Instead, they're standing back-to-back, defending what is going on here. One and the other both say, a living faith produced works. A living faith will produce fruit. But there's something we need to look to a little bit deeper, and that is this. James says one man is justified by works, which would almost say our works play into our justification. But we have to remember our definitions. Our definitions of justification, one is to be declared righteous in the sight of God, even though I'm a sinner. The other is to demonstrate myself righteous in the sight of people to show that I've received the gift of eternal life from God. With those definitions in mind, we have to ask ourselves, How are we declared righteous in the sight of God? Is it our faith or is it our works? Is it our faith or is it our works? And that question is huge. I truly believe the entire gospel hangs on that question. I told you that both Paul and James use Abraham to talk about justification, but here's what we need to see. They're talking about him in two different points of his life. Two different vantage points. Again, one man, two points, two different views of the same coin. Paul's main point in the book of Romans is that Abraham was justified by faith before he did anything. Before he was circumcised. Before he had Isaac. Before he was willing to offer up Isaac as only son as a sacrifice. Before he did any of this, Romans 4.3 says his faith was credited as righteousness. 
So that's the one side. James, on the other hand, has a completely different emphasis. He was talking about Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God. And James says Abraham was considered righteous when he did that. Again, one man, two standpoints in his life, one with initial faith, and one looking back at a life of obedience. So what's each side of the coin? The first one is initial justification. Initial justification. I know that's big, heavy, but it means the inception of what we have at the beginning of the Christian life. It's when you repent. It's when you turn from yourself and trust in Jesus as the only one who can save you. When you are clothed or have that imputation of Christ's righteousness by the grace of God, you stand right before the king and you stand right before the judge. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is God's gift. That's what 2, 8 says. It's not of our works, so we can't boast. Paul's saying, I want you to avoid this danger. Don't be thinking that works are necessary in a necessary way for salvation. They're not the basis of our salvation. Paul calls us to believe in your heart, not just in your head, in your heart, that Jesus is a sovereign Lord and the Savior. He is the King who alone paid the price for your sins on the cross so that you could have eternal life. He finished the work of salvation so that you don't have to add anything. You know what that is? That's the gospel. That's what we need to be sharing with people. Believe in Him in your heart and be saved. That's what Paul says, and that's what Paul means when he talks about justifications in Romans 3, 21 through 26. At that moment you trust Christ as Savior, you are justified. You are declared righteous by God. But as we read James, we must understand he's not talking about initial justification. He's talking about final justification. He's talking about the other side of the coin. Final justification is what happens on the day of judgment when God declares us righteous in His sight. Not the inception, not the beginning of the Christian life, but the confirmation of it. He has what was declared initially, saying has been declared daily. Has been declared openly in our lives. Where Paul says avoid the dangers of works-based salvation, James is saying avoid the dangers of thinking that works aren't necessary as evidence of your salvation. That's how they work together. Remember last week we said, you say you have faith, prove it. Is it real? Is it genuine? Is it alive? Or is it dead and demonic? How do we prove it? How do you know your faith's real? Fruit. How do we know it's real? Is real faith, there'll be real fruit. And again, Paul and James use the example of Abraham. How'd you know Abraham's faith was real? Sacrifice. Fruit. Being willing to sacrifice. I know I've thrown a lot at you today. A lot of big words, and hopefully your note pages are full kids, and you go home and your parents are like, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. You can listen to it again if that's what you have to do. But this is what I want. I just want to wrap up with two truths. Two truths for you to walk away with. Two things that all of this brings together, and that is this. Truth number one is that salvation is through faith. Salvation is through faith. Through our initial faith in Christ, we are made right by God. Faith in Jesus is the basis of your salvation. Nothing else. There's no Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus alone. By the grace of God, He gives us birth through His word of truth, as James says in 1.18. So that is truth number one. Salvation is through faith. Second thing is this. Faith works. Faith works. It acts. It loves. It perseveres. It obeys. And today, as we look at it, it sacrifices. When God gives you a new life, the new life is radically different. 
than the old one that was all about us. The new one will bear much fruit as it grows us closer in a relationship to God. What was the end result of the relationship of God and Abraham? He called him what? Friend. What better relationship to say that you have with God than to call him friend? To call him father, to call him savior, to call him king, to call him Lord. These are the things that we're being driven to as our faith continues to grow. Our faith is going to lead to a radical obedience. Where we trust God with our everything and follow him sacrificially into whatever he's calling us to. If you've never received the gift of salvation through faith, if somehow you think your works are going to get it done, let me extend an invitation today to do that. That by faith, believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of all. And he has done the finished work for your sins on the cross. If you have believed that, let me challenge you to let your faith work to glorify God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for the words like justification and righteousness and even works and faith that how all of this works together to glorify you because that's what the whole point of all of our lives are is to glorify you as I think about all the things that we get so wrapped up in even things like sports where we're concerned whether our team wins or not God it's all about you whether it glorifies you or not our our children our lives our family our friends it's all about glorifying you when it becomes about us there's a problem and God we need a heart change we need a heart change of direction and may that happen if this morning we're struggling in some way thinking somehow we're earning favor with you God change our hearts and change our minds if we know that but aren't applying it God change our hearts and change our minds even if we are applying it God continue to grow us in our faith to be more mature and closer to you in our relationship that we continue to grow in our faith which continues to cause our works which grows our faith which grows our works that you may be glorified that is our goal today as we lift up your name pray in your holy name amen